All right. Well, I'm not Pastor Randy. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I thank you all for the encouragement and the prayers and um, just asking the Lord to really speak to us tonight to, to get me out of the way and for the Lord to speak to us. Um, you know, every time I have the opportunity to preach, um, it's sobering because it's a, it is a big responsibility. You're not just getting up and, and saying some nice words in front of a body. It's you're sharing the word of God, and there's a great responsibility. I was just sharing that with a brother a little bit earlier. Uh, whether we're just sharing the gospel on the street or, or on, a, on a platform like this, it, it is a great privilege, uh, but it's also a great responsibility. And I pray that what I share tonight will minister to you. I've, I've really asked the Lord to, to work this in me and to teach me this. When I come up here and preach and, and share these things, I certainly don't uh, pretend to, uh, to say that I've learned it fully and understand it fully, but I want the Lord to do it in me. Amen. And, and He can and He will. Well, let's pray again tonight. Lord, I pray, Father, for tonight, Lord, I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you for the promises that are found in your word. I thank you, God, that we can lean on you. Lord, I thank you, God, that you are refuge. I thank you, God, that you are a rock. I thank you, Lord, that you never change, God, and your promises are true. And I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for this body, Lord. I thank you for this body of believers that love you and desire to serve you and desire to grow. I pray, Father, that you would challenge us in your word, exhort us, God, encourage us, Lord. Give us the strength to walk out what you're showing us, Lord. I pray, give us spiritual eyes and ears to understand things that are higher than we can understand with our minds. I pray, help us to understand your word in our hearts through your spirit, God. It can't be intellectually and in our mind fully understood. It has to be understood, Lord, through the spirit uh, working in and through us. And I pray that you would do that tonight. I pray, Lord, please take me out of the way. I pray, speak through me, Lord. Use this weak vessel, Lord, to share your word and to minister. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, when I have the opportunity to preach, um, I always ask the Lord um, to give me a message and a message that's um, practical in my everyday walk with the Lord. I think sometimes, and the Lord can give different kind of messages. I think there's wonderful messages that speak to the greatness of God and His promises and His awesome character. But there's also things that God wants us to learn on a day-to-day -day basis. This Christian walk with the Lord isn't just a pretty thing that we call ourselves Christians and we go to church and, and we're part of a church. It's, it's deeper than that. We have a relationship with the living God. We have a personal relationship with the creator of this world, the redeemer of your soul. That's a great and wonderful thing to know. And as I was praying uh, about the message tonight, the Lord gave me a message and a picture, and it's wonderful how God's used the Sunday school parables um, to minister to me, at least, using these physical pictures that God uses in the Bible to understand, understand spiritual things. And it's wonderful when he does that uh, because I think it helps us understand spiritual things from a, a, a very practical perspective. And so uh, the passage the Lord gave, with, uh, gave me is in Hebrews chapter 6. If you can turn with me there. Hebrews 6, and we're going to look at verses 18 to 20. Hebrews 6, verses 18 to 20. 
It says, by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And the title of the message the Lord gave me tonight is The Anchor of Our Soul. The Anchor of Our Soul. And so when you look at this passage, there's the picture of an anchor. And it says that this hope that we have serves as an anchor of our soul. And so when you think about this, so um, many people, many commentators and theologians believe that the writer of, of uh, Hebrews was Paul. And when you look at Paul's epistles and you look at his life in the book of Acts, Paul traveled a lot. He traveled on a ship. Um, he talks in his epistles about him being shipwrecked, okay? And so this picture of a ship and in, in the practical things that happen with the ship, I think the Lord used that very practical example to show Paul a spiritual picture. And if this is Paul that wrote uh, the book of Hebrews, you see here the picture of an anchor, and what does an anchor do? An anchor will hold a ship, right? Because by, by the nature of a ship on a water, it just floats, correct? And hopefully it floats and it, and it moves in the direction it needs to move in. But when it needs to stop and it needs to be in a safe place, what happens? The anchor is placed out and then it holds, holds the ship where it needs to be, right? And usually, whenever a storm comes... If the captain, uh, obviously we have technology now where we can predict the weather, but at that time, if they could see the signs of the storm, the captain knew to go into safe harbor and to anchor the ship. And so what would happen if it was a good anchor, if it was a sure anchor, when storms would come and try to knock the ship over, that anchor, if it was anchored correctly, would hold the ship. And that ship wouldn't stray, wouldn't move, it wouldn't go to the rocks, it wouldn't go out of the safe harbor when a storm came because that anchor secured that ship, okay? And so I want us to look at this passage, and I'm going to talk through and give a couple examples, but what the storms of life can really mean in the life of a Christian. And we're going to look at a couple examples of that. But when you look at the, at the book of Hebrews as well, there's another nautical or ship reference. Who is Jesus referenced as? It says he's the captain of our souls, right? So here you see another picture of a ship. And so you can get a, get a picture, too, of that ship being sort of a picture of our life, right? And, and Jesus is that captain. He should be the one guiding that ship, right? And then he's that shore anchor that knows where that safe harbor is, and he knows when to anchor us, right? And that's a wonderful picture and a wonderful promise to know. But when you look at that passage and think about this passage as I go through these examples, what are some of, the, what, some of the pictures that this passage says? It says there are two immutable things. First one, that it's impossible for God to lie. What God tells you is the truth. It's not going to change. It's not the lie. It's not a half-truth. It's the truth. If God has said something and he's promised something, he hasn't lied and he won't lie. 
And then that second immutable thing, I would argue in this passage, is, is what? That Jesus is that high priest for us, right? And it describes him about being, uh, as being in the order of Melchizedek, but he's our high priest. God doesn't lie, and Jesus is our high priest, okay? And so this serves as a strong consolation. This serves as a place where we can flee for refuge. You see those words, strong consolation, fleeing, uh, fled for refuge, laying hold upon. You see these sort of very concrete terminology that's used about God. And why is Paul saying this? Because there are storms and there are circumstances that each one of you are going to go through. Storms of life are going to head your way. And my question to you, question to myself is, how sure is that anchor of our soul? We know that God is who he says he is, but where is our hope? Is it really in the Lord? And I think sometimes those storms, when they come and that ship gets loose, makes us realize what we're really hoping in. And I think this is an important thing to ask each one of, to, to ask ourselves. Amen. And so the Lord gave me the life of Joseph as a picture for these three types of storms I'm going to talk about. The first one is the storm of a temptation to sin. If you're taking notes. The second one is a temptation to become depressed. And the third one is a temptation to despair. And I think the life of Joseph gives a wonderful picture of a man of God who had his hope anchored in the Lord. He went through some pretty tremendous things. And so we're going to take a look at his life tonight. If y'all turn with me to Genesis chapter 39. I'll let you turn there. I think it's important to go through this chapter. We'll go through chapter 39 and chapter 40. As you're turning there, most of you, if not all of you, are familiar with the life of Joseph. He was one of the sons of Jacob. His brothers, we don't have time to cover his whole life, but his brothers hated him. God had given Joseph a dream. And God had basically told Joseph in that dream that Joseph would be lifted up to a place of authority. And God would use, Joseph didn't have the full picture, but God would use Joseph being elevated to that place of authority for God's purposes and for God's glory. Okay? But boy, things didn't really turn out the way I'm sure Joseph thought after he had that dream. What happened is brothers were very jealous of him. He ends up being sold as a slave by his brothers. And he is taken to a completely different country. A foreign country he probably, I would say, he's never been to. With a language he doesn't speak. And lo and behold, where does God place him? God places him in the home of a high-ranking official in the government. But he's there as a slave. And what does Joseph do as a slave? Does he pout? Does he complain? I'm sure he did. I'm sure it was hard. But what is the bigger picture and the pattern that we start to see in Joseph's life? What does he do when he is sent as a as a slave to the house of Potiphar. 
He was a faithful worker. He was a faithful employee. He was a hardworking employee. And even though he was condemned as a slave in servitude, that means you don't get paid. That means you don't really get respected. You're looked down upon in society. But what does he do? He's faithful where God has placed him. And Potiphar recognizes in him, Potiphar is not a man of God. He's a pagan. But what does he recognize in this man? This is a hardworking man. This is a man of integrity. Let me give him this much responsibility, this much responsibility, until Potiphar ends up having Joseph run his household. People in the whole household insert to Joseph. And many people believe Joseph was probably still pretty young. I would imagine he's probably maybe late teens, probably early 20s. He's a young man. But he's, gave, he's given this great responsibility, and he takes it very seriously. And he doesn't understand, I would imagine, why God has him in Egypt. He doesn't have the full picture. He's there in not the best of employment circumstances, but he is there. God knows. He knows that God knows he's there. We don't have an account that God's telling Joseph day by day what's going to happen next. But Joseph is living his life in faith, knowing that God gave him a dream and he's going to be faithful in where God has placed him. There's a similar picture in the Bible of a young man who is placed in a foreign land away from his family, Daniel. And the Bible describes that Daniel purposed in his heart. He purposed in his heart to keep himself pure. And guys, these men, it had to be more than just a Jewish tradition. Some people may say, well, these were great religious men. It has to be more than that. It had to be more than mama and daddy's took me to church. It had to be more than I grew up Baptist, that I grew up born again, I grew up a Christian, I went to church since I was three years old. It had to be more than that. For you to become a slave and endure this hardness, it has to be more than just a simple walking down the aisle at church and said, I gave my heart to the Lord. There has to be a firm anchoring and a hold that this thing is real. This God is real. What he says is real. His word is real. It's more than just mama told me God's good. It has to be my faith. And you young children here, you teenagers here, your faith has to be more than what your parents have told you. It has to be your faith. It has to be your anchor. Amen. And you see that played out in these men. Verse 7, it says, It came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There's none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. And listen to this, because this is real important. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. 
And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. Joseph was in a situation where no one else was around except God and that temptation. His family wasn't around. His church wasn't around. He was there faced with his temptation. I have to imagine this is a young man. The Bible describes him as being a handsome man. But what does, Jace, what does Joseph do? I think many in today's society would probably kind of laugh at this situation. Right? Funny thing. The boss's wife is checking me out. I think in that situation, if we're honest, when no one's looking, he very well could have rationalized this sin. But what is his response? It wasn't just a vocal response to this woman, to this temptress. He said, how can I sin against God? How can I sin against God? Joseph guarded the relationship he had with the Lord and the testimony that he had before the Lord very greatly. Now, we may not be in this same kind of temptation. This is probably the basis kind of temptation you can look at. But sin is sin. And every day, every one of us is tempted with that sin. I think when others are around, that temptation probably isn't as hard because no one else is looking. But guess who's looking? God. God is. And I want the Lord to give me that same sobriety, that same fear. And I think that goes back to the picture of an anchor. Because that anchor and that hope that Joseph had was in a real God with a real promise and a real purpose. And if that wasn't real, rationalizing that temptation of sin, this young man, very, very tempting, I'm sure it, it, it was. And some people believe that his wife was probably very young, close to his age. So there had to be something more than just a pretty little faith that he had. There had to be an anchor. There had to be a hope anchored in who God was and what he said was true. Right? And so you see that picture of the storm coming. It's shaking around Joseph's life and in this situation. And what happens? That anchor holds. That hope holds. Amen? Y'all, I want... When temptation comes my way, to hold that same way. And I want for each one of us, and maybe there's a temptation to cheat. There's a temptation to um, gloss over something. It may be a very small sin. It may be a great sin. But Satan there is there to destroy your faith, and he's there to destroy your testimony. If Joseph would have fallen into that temptation, I'm not saying God could have redeemed or anything, but imagine the destruction to his testimony and everything God planned to do through Joseph's life if he would have fallen. Y'all, we have to prepare today for the storm that's going to happen tomorrow. This isn't just some wonderful, miraculous thing that happened overnight for Joseph. 
It was a process that God did in Joseph's lives. I could I could imagine Joseph that maybe the months or years that had passed, not a lot of years that passed between him being sold as a slave and him being placed as a head of Potiphar's life, him praying in that bed, him praying as he's in chains, dragged to a foreign land. God, you have to be real. God, this whole thing has to be real. It has to be real. His hope, his soul was anchored on the hope of God. His testimony could not suffer, but most of all, his relationship with his Lord could not be compromised. Amen. And his anchor had already been laid hold before that storm came. This anchor of conviction a conviction of sin and what God says, it has to hold strong for us, y'all. That conviction from the Lord, that hope that's anchored has to hold strong. Amen. And we know that God is strong. And so what happens? Joseph is believed and he is promoted to prime minister the next day. No. What happens? Man, when we do the right thing, when we obey the Lord, there should be a blessing that should come. I obeyed the Lord. God's going to bless me. I did the right thing. What happens? Potiphar takes him. Let's go to verse 20. Jump to verse 20. It says, Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. I don't know about y'all, but if I was wrongly accused after trying really hard to do the right thing, and I was placed in prisoner... I don't know that I would start praising the Lord. I don't know that I would want to be faithful in the responsibilities I've been given in that prison. I would want to sit in my bed and pout. I would want to become depressed. God, I did the right thing. Why did you allow this to happen? I want to be honest. That would be, I would feel like that would be my first response. And I'm sure Joseph struggled with this. I'm sure the first day he was there, it wasn't a a happy-go-lucky day. But there was an anchor in Joseph's heart that held strong against the storm of depression that started, I'm sure, to rage against his life and in his mind and in his heart. When all the prisoners in there were there probably because they deserved to be and he didn't. He wasn't supposed to be there. What does Joseph do? You see the same pattern. He is faithful where God has placed him. He doesn't let depression get get to him. This dream that God's given him, he's gone from a slave to now a slave that's in prison. He's taken a hundred steps back from where he was supposed to be according to this dream. Guys, sometimes we read this word and we see the promises of God and we feel like we're a hundred steps back from where God 
promised us we would be. What is our response? What do we do? There has to be an anchor. Going back to that passage in Hebrews, God doesn't lie. And y'all, Joseph didn't even have the full picture of Jesus. He didn't have this Bible. All he had is what God had showed in his heart and confirmed through the Spirit, the Spirit of God. I would imagine Jacob instructed him in the things of God too, and things that God had revealed to Abraham and, and to Jacob. But he didn't have a Bible like we have. He didn't have a devotional he could go read. He didn't have a book on how to overcome depression. It was just him and the Lord. You see how this relationship has to be real? It has to be real. It has to be real, and our hope has to be in him. Does following what is right and of God always produce happiness in the most joyous of worldly situations? No. Where must that satisfaction of our soul be anchored? It must be in the Lord. Guys, there's going to be things in your life that are going to disappoint you. There are going to be people that disappoint you. There are going to be situations that disappoint you. And may I say, there may be Christians that disappoint you. I may disappoint you. My testimony may disappoint you. I pray that it does not. God will never disappoint you. A church may disappoint you. A denomination may disappoint you. God will never disappoint you. God has given us a wonderful church. He's given us wonderful brothers and sisters in the Lord. Those are toppings. Those are wonderful blessings of God. And I thank God for them. But your faith has to be more than this church. It has to be more than the men in this pulpit. It has to be more than a religion. It has to be more than what mama and daddy told you at night about God. It has to be real to you. Because that storm will come. And your faith will be shaken. Not only will you be tempted to sin, but you will be very much tempted to become depressed and feel hopeless. Colossians 3.23 says, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Why? When God is our object in satisfaction, what is around you won't steal your joy. What did Paul and Silas do when they were imprisoned? They were having a worship service. Y'all, I can't say that that would be my first reaction. But when your hope is in the Lord, those external circumstances aren't going to affect what's in here. Amen? Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy wasn't present. You see that? For the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12.11 goes on to say, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. I think I said that right, grievous, grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. 
We see the promises of God, and then there's warnings of God, right? I don't think the word, when you really study it, paints this naive picture of walking with God, if we really study it. It instructs us that there's going to be many difficult things that we're going to have to go through. And you have to have a hope in who God is and what He says. And there's a joy at the end, a full joy at the end. But there does have to be that satisfaction currently as well. I'd ask you this question, where's your satisfaction in your life? God blesses us with wonderful things, families, spouses, children, wonderful jobs, right? But where is that satisfaction in your heart and in your soul? Is it really God? Is it really your relationship with Him? Because when these storms swirl around, if that anchor really isn't about God and who He is, it's on something else, on a church or or an organization, when those storms come, you're going to blow off. And you know, it's tragic to see because you see... You see great ministries, you see great, uh, I say perhaps great in the eyes of the world, men in ministries that fall, and you see many people fall away as a result. I would ask, where was their hope to begin with? Was it in that man and in that church? I'll tell you right now, that's a very misplaced anchor, right? I don't want to go too long. I'm already kind of being long-winded. Let's go to the third one. Temptation to despair. Temptation to despair. And uh, go with me to chapter 40. Flip over to chapter 40, verse 2. And it says, Pharaoh was, was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season in the ward, or in ward. And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And then skip over so last part to verse 7. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Whereof look ye so sadly this day? And so they end up telling him why. They tell him the dream. Joseph interprets those dreams. And um, go to verse 23. What ends up interpreted ends up happening. And it says, Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. Man, you just think, surely this time, surely this time, surely this time, surely this time, Joseph was forgotten again from all he could see with his eyes. He was forgotten again. And you could even see in this, he had every reason to be depressed and what he's looking out for these people and he asked them why they're sad. You know, sometimes when we're so depressed and we're such pointing my fingers at me. We're in such self-pity that we don't even realize the people around us that are sad, that don't have that hope, that know nothing about that hope, but we're so, so stuck on our own problem, we don't see the need around us. We don't see the sad around us. God, forgive me. Forgive me for that self-pity. 
Joseph is, looks and, he, and God gives him wisdom. He interprets the dream. And you can almost probably picture Joseph wanting these men. And I think in this passage, he actually asks them, please remember me. And they forget him. Every reason to give in to despair. And guys, we, we, you will see that sometimes in your struggle, in your, in your life, in your prayers. God, I prayed. I just thought this last time that prayer would be answered. This issue would be resolved. God, I'm in despair. I feel like giving up. I feel like giving up this whole Christian thing. This person failed me. I'm ready to give up this whole Christian thing. That dream, God, you gave me, that my brothers mocked me for, they, sh- they were right. They, sh- they mocked me. Look where I am. Joseph, I'm sure, struggled with that. But he doesn't give in to that storm of despair. That hope that he has in the Lord remains and it anchors. And I'm going to wrap this up. Um, but I want to go to a couple, a couple more scriptures and I'll reference it. First uh, Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and in fear. Not in pride, in meekness and in fear. Someone may ask you, why are you, why are you, why do you still believe in this God? Look at what's happened to you. Look at what's happened to your life. How can you believe in what the Bible says and who God says who, that he is? Do you? Do you have that answer? Do you have the can answer? Well, the Bible says, and so I just believe it. Do you really believe it? Do you really believe what the Bible says? The Bible instructs us to be ready. And I don't think it means the Sunday school answer you can just spit out. I think it's something that comes from the Spirit of God in your heart. That anchor that says, not only has God promised what He says in His Word, but He's done it in my life. And even though I can't understand it all, I know that He's faithful and He doesn't lie. And guess what? When people look at your life and they look at the pattern of your life in your workplace, in that place of despair, it's not just a pretty Sunday school answer. It's real because they're seeing it played out in your life. They're seeing it played out in your life. Amen. Jump over to uh, chapter 41. And it says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. Two years passed. And they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came into the Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh tells them the dream. Joseph interprets the dream. And this is Pharaoh's response. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And listen to and look at this especially. Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? Wow. It wasn't just this is a smart little whippersnapper. What does it say? 
This man, Pharaoh, is amazed. He says, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? Wow. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God had showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand, and he put it upon Joseph's hand, and arrayed him in the vestures of fine linen, and put a gold chain around his neck, about his neck, and made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. Couldn't have written a better novel or movie. But this is real. It wasn't just some pretty story. And guys, it's wonderful to see how God ends up using Joseph's life. He even uh, ministers to his brothers and tells them, hey, what you meant for bad, God knew all along and he meant it for good. Right? I think sometimes we can even harbor, we can harbor bitterness towards people that have done us wrong. But you know what? In the whole plan of God, whatever ill will people have against us, I'm going to trust God that whatever they've done to me, God knows and he's going to work it out for his good and for his glory. Amen? That's where that anchor holds because it's holding on to God. It's holding on to hope in him. And that promise that Joseph had and seeing it fulfilled, guys, is wonderful to see that. But guess what? It's so much bigger because for us, it's heaven. For us, it's eternity with him. For us, it's not a worldly king. It's the king of kings. Amen. That will bestow upon us the promises that he's given us to in his word. That's incredible. Amen. And y'all, when the Bible talks about us stirring one another, I'm fired up reading this and preaching this. But two or three months from now, when I'm in the middle of something where I'm really upset, I, wanna, I want God to bring me back to this and what he says. And, we, and you all probably know this story and, and could get up here and preach it better than I can, but we need to be reminded about it. We need to stir one another in that. Remember what God said. Remember what he did in Joseph's life. Remember what he did in your life. Don't hope in me. Hope in the Lord. Hope in what he says because he doesn't lie. He doesn't change. Amen. Chris, if you can come up and help close us in a time of prayer. I want you to, in your chair, or you can come up to the altar. But I was going to read, there's this old hymn called My Anchor Holds. And maybe you've heard it before, but I'm going to read through. I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> I'm just going to read through. It's a little bit long, but if you can just um, pray in your seat and maybe listen to what the words say. I think they're a wonderful um, summary of what we just went through. It says, my anchor holds, though the angry surges roll on my tempest-driven soul, I am peaceful for I know. Wildly though the winds may blow, I have an anchor safe and sure that can evermore endure. And it holds, my anchor holds, blow your wildness then, O gale, on my bark so small and frail. By his grace I shall not fail, for my anchor holds, my anchor holds. Mighty tides sweep about me, mighty tides about me sweep. 
perils lurk within the deep. Angry clouds o'ershade the sky, and the tempest rises high. Still I stand the tempest's shock, for my anchor grips the rock. I can feel the anchor fast as I meet each sudden blast, and the cable, though unseen, bears the heavy strain between. Through the storm I safely ride till the turning of the tide. Troubles almost overwhelm the soul. Griefs like billows o'er me roll. Tempters seek to lure astray. Storms obscure the light of day. But in Christ I can be bold. I've an anchor that shall hold. Amen. And Lord, I just pray, God, tonight, I pray that your word would affect our hearts, Lord. I pray for myself and I pray for my brothers and sisters in the Lord here. I pray that the anchor of our soul, our hope in you and your word would hold sure, God, you do, you always do. But God, we have to have faith that you will do it. Our relationship with you has to be real. Our trust in you has to be real. It can't be on anything else but you and what you say and what you promise, Lord. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would reveal that to us in our hearts. I pray, let our eyes be open to that. God, if, if our faith is not where it needs to be and it's misplaced, Lord, I pray it would be made right. I pray tonight, God, and I pray in the months and the years to come, Lord, I pray that we would prepare our hearts. I pray that you would prepare our hearts for the storms that will come, for the temptations to sin that will come. Lord, for the temptations to become depressed, for the temptations to give up, Lord, and to be in despair. I pray that we would hold strong to you. I pray, God, for each one of us. I pray that we'd encourage one another. I pray that we would stir one another, remind ourselves of this, Lord. But, God, it's going to come down to you and me. It's going to come down to each one of us in our relationship with you. And I pray, God, this wouldn't just be a, a pretty story and an inspirational sermon, Lord. I pray this is real in our lives, God. I pray work it in us, Lord. Work it in me, God. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.